This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I'm recording these a bit earlier than normal just because of scheduling stuff, so there might be a few posts that come in after I'm done recording, so I'll just get to those next week. But cheers, and uh, let's see what we got this week. First up, developer under 4 megahertz has started porting Wolfenstein 3D to the Sega Master System. And while, yes, of course, you could play Wolf 3D on a bunch of other platforms, I really love projects like this because you get a window into what could be done on these older platforms and you really get to push them to their limits. Plus, it's just neat playing Wolfenstein 3D on the Sega Master System. So if you want more info on that, the developer is posting on SMS Power and Kevin did a really awesome summary video that kind of shows you where the projects at right now and what to expect from it. Uh, there is a public demo available and of course this is still midway through production but it is very very cool to think that we could have got Wolfenstein 3D on a Sega Master System cart back in the day. This next one is kind of niche however I think any CRT enthusiast would want to hear about it especially if you own a Luva CRT. So I actually owned a couple of Luva CRTs back in the early 2000s. I just was in the right place at the right time and got very expensive TVs for very little amounts of money. And they did have some of the shortcomings of other HD CRTs, like there was they were always scaling to a certain resolution, there were certain input issues. However, I was always able to at least access 480p. Unfortunately, some of those Luva sets didn't have VGA input cards, and even the ones that were officially available were only able to be purchased through installers, which if anybody remembers back then, that was insanely priced. These were basically for very rich people who had, at least in the US, who had a lot of money to spend. So a Luva TV was like five grand, and I'm sure if you didn't have the VGA card, you'd probably have to spend at least a couple hundred bucks plus lug it to an authorized reseller, you know, distributor, whatever, to get it installed. So that basically means that there's a whole bunch of Luva TVs, especially the Zelos, I think that's how you pronounce it, that could potentially do 480p, but don't have the correct input. However, luckily, somebody was able to come up with a solution for that and have a homebrew version of it. Now, this isn't going to miraculously get native 15 kilohertz running. You still have all the issues of HD CRTs, like you're going to want to get it to 480p. Basically, check out that video I did a while back on classic consoles on VGA monitors. While there might be slightly better ways to do this on HD consumer CRTs, this is definitely not a bad way to do it. And... Uh, there's a whole lot more research that I'll be doing soon to, that's focused on HD CRTs. But at the very least, now any 480p source you put in is going to look great. And of course, you could just line double the 15 kilohertz sources. And I'm not sure what other resolutions this TV would accept. A lot of these HD CRTs didn't accept 720p. They only accepted 480p and 1080i. And I think 
any lower resolutions were either input specific or were scaled automatically. So it's a it's kind of an interesting thing. And, you know, like I warned you right at the beginning of this section, a bit of a niche thing, but I just, I love that people are continuing to do research on this because the more I look into these HD CRTs, the more I realize how awesome they are if you know exactly how to use them for the right use case. I kind of wrote them off for a little while and said, oh, they were only good for these three things. But the more I learn and the more people in the community are, are really coming together, shout out to Shank for teaching me a couple of tricks with these, uh, the more I realize they're, they're very cool. So while I wouldn't say everybody rush out and try to get one, if you already have one or if you could stumble across one easily, especially for free, grab it because I think there's a lot more to come with these HD CRTs. So uh, the only other thing to note, I believe this eBay auction that I linked to sold out now, but they're definitely going to be making more because this is something that I just don't think they anticipated how many people around the world had these Luvid TVs that wanted this input. So definitely check back um, and just kind of check the link in the post, but everything should be the same link. And, you know, now Luva Zelos owners have a very cool input card to buy. This week's podcast is once again sponsored by JLC PCB, and this week and next week, I want to just run through in real time how to make a PCB and how to make a PCB assembly order. And I've gone through very detailed posts about this with previous ads, but I thought this one might be kind of a fun, neat one to bookmark if you just wanted to remember what's a quick way to get your PCB made and what's your quick way to get the full assembly made. So this week, we're going to start out with just making a PCB again. And as usual, start by either logging into JLC PCB or signing up for a completely free account. Then click on order now, hit add Gerber file and click on the file that you're looking to upload. Sometimes it takes a while, sometimes it doesn't, not really sure why. However, once it's done uploading, you'll get the picture of what it is to that you're going to be making. And you're just going to want to do a visual inspection to make sure everything looks kind of the way that you want it. And then just decide the basics. You could normally leave all of this stuff completely default. The base material, the layers usually select itself. Uh, product type doesn't usually matter. The only thing that would matter is PCB quantity. So we're only going to make five because this is a prototype that we're testing. And also we're going to leave the basic green PCB, fastest turnaround time. And what I normally like to do for my personal designs are all prototypes are green for this exact reason. That way, whenever we look at it, we know just by seeing the green that it's a prototype and we get it as quickly as possible, but you could get any other color you'd like. It just takes two more days to order them. Other than that, most other things here, you pretty much won't need to check off. PCB assembly and stencils are things that we've already gone over, which we'll go through deeper next week. And that's really it. Honestly, you just load up your Gerber files, select your quantity, your color, and everything else should pretty much just be automatic. Then hit save to cart and then go in checkout. Usually I just hit view cart, go to secure checkout here, then select your shipping address and then select your shipping method. If you want your PCB prototypes as quickly as possible, I definitely recommend just using the default DHL Express Worldwide. I usually get these really quickly when I would choose this shipping method. And it's not cheap. It's much more expensive than just the PCB order. But if you're in a rush to get things tested, I really think this is worth the money. But if you're on a budget or if this is your main purchase for PCBs, so you select a different color, doesn't really matter how long it takes to arrive, 
you could drop the shipping significantly. Right now we have a grand total of just about five bucks for shipping and PCB prototypes, which is awesome. I then strongly recommend you hit pay directly, not review before payment, uh, unless I guess it's a giant order or something, but that way you could just pay with PayPal, check out and be done with it. And that's basically what I do from here on. I just pay with PayPal and that's it. And then it'll arrive fairly quickly and you could finish your prototyping process from there. So that's it for this week. Next week, we'll go a little bit more detailed in how to get the full assembly ordered, but I'll skip next week the payment and shipping stuff because we showed it here. Russ Lyman just posted a video reviewing graphics gears, NES controller overlays or inlays or however you're supposed to say them. So basically, NES controllers have that sticker that's covering the top, but it's not really a sticker. It's a high quality inlay. And over time, sometimes they peel back, sometimes they come off, sometimes controllers are damaged, or sometimes you just want something unique and different, especially if you have a third party controller that you don't mind tearing off the label that came with it. And Graphics Gear has made some really high quality ones for a while now. And I've had a whole bunch here. I've passed them along to different people to try to spread the word. And I couldn't really figure out how to do a video about it. I can't remember if I've done a post yet about it. My apologies to Graphics Gear if I haven't. But then I saw my friend Russ Lyman post a video. And I thought, oh, here's the perfect chance to write this up. Because Russ paints and mods the plastics on consoles. And he does a really beautiful job. And in fact, I've had a Russ box here for a couple of months now of all yellowed and older and scratched consoles because I want Russ to use those to restore and paint. And, you know, Russ is creative. I bet you he could do something like if there's a, a cut in the plastic, he could probably paint something like that to make it look like whatever it was that he was painting. I don't, I'm not the artist he is, so I'll probably, I'll just shut my mouth and let him decide. But I just figured somebody that does so much of this restoration work and, and so much enhancement to older consoles would be a great opinion to hear. And Russ seemed to like him a lot as well. So perfect. If you want to check out what the graphics gear stickers are like, check out Russ's video. If you'd like to purchase them, the link is also right here. Uh, and I also made sure that I sent a bunch of these over to Rourke because I think as much as I, I absolutely love his transparent shells, I'd be willing to bet a combination of both in certain cases would be really, really awesome. So I'll leave all that up to you, but uh, all the info you need on all this stuff is right in post. Lewis from Zez Retro basically lag-tested a 1,700-person theater in Tallinn, Estonia, which I just thought was so awesome. He started with a time sleuth test to the projector, which was a lot quicker than I thought it would be for something like that, because you don't need low-latency devices in a giant room, but that was pretty cool to see. And then he also did testing with different wireless controllers, and it was really awesome to see the latency change depending on where in the theater he was. And while he didn't have, like, an oscillus scope to get the microsecond measurements, it was very evident which spots were laggier than others. So I don't want to spoil the rest of the video. I probably already just spoiled half of it, but I think any of my fellow nerds would just want to watch this one because it's neat. It's silly. I mean, it, it's not very practical. I'm sure most of us, if not all of us listening, aren't going to be trying to game in a giant theater somewhere, but I think the perspective of it is pretty awesome. And it just visualizing distance to stuff and how certain things may work better than others. I, I don't know. I really enjoyed this one. This was a lot of fun. So thanks to Lewis for jumping on the opportunity to do it. And if any of you other nerds get the opportunity to do stuff like this, please let me know because I think it's fun to share things like this. And, you know, even if it's just a retweet or, or whatever else, I, I really enjoy seeing and sharing stuff like this because heck, it's what I would do if I had that opportunity. 
The 4K Gamer Pro Sharp Scaling Device is now for sale on Amazon. So a while back, I mentioned how you could purchase it through Indiegogo. Before that, I did a video about their Kickstarter campaign, and now it's just on Amazon, which I think if you're like me, it's a lot easier to just buy stuff off of Amazon than try to worry about any of that other stuff. So the campaign was already funded, obviously. So, I, you know, uh, whatever method that you choose to buy this, if this is something that you want to buy, it doesn't really matter. But I think most people would just prefer the Amazon link. Now, this is a sharp scaling device that could only accept 1080p and scales sharp to 4K. And it is not an integer scale, and there probably will never be an integer scale version of this. It does have some edge enhancement ringing added to it, but this is really preference-based. I lag tested it so many different ways, and it is zero lag added. And it's really just for people that want the opposite of the M cable. The M cable will go from from kind of whatever you give it to smooth the edges out, and this will give a sharper scale of it. And if you think this this and or the M cable is dumb, that is totally fine. You might be kind of an ass if you felt the need to post that, but it is totally fine if you don't like it, if you don't find any use for it. I just wanted to get the word out there because there were a lot of people who saw this and, and even who are receiving it now and commented that they like the look that it presents them. And that's all I care about is, does it add lag? No, neither does the M cable. Does it do something to destroy the gaming experience? No, that's really up to you if you hate sharp or soft scaling, but no, it doesn't do something like deinterlace things that aren't interlaced in the first place. So it really just comes down to, do you want to add this to your setup? And you might or you might not. That's totally up to you, whatever, that's cool. But I thought it was neat. I liked it. And I use mine all the time for 4K testing. So I, I do more tech work than I do gaming by, by far. So I actually use this thing all the time, but more for when I need to send a 4K60 source to something to do some kind of testing with lag or whatever else. So I think it's a very cool device. Um, I'm glad they made it. Would have been cool if they did an integer scale version, but I just think, and I mean this with respect, I think they already had the campaign running and they already had the device pretty much done. And before they realized, oh, wow, there's a huge retro gaming market that could take advantage of this. So if I were in their shoes, if that's what happened, I would release it as is too. Whereas if maybe I had gotten a chance to meet them before they even started the campaign, they could have spent another two months adding a true integer mode. But it's not there. It almost definitely will never be there. So this is one of those devices that you buy for however it is today and don't hope for any updates. And that is not, that is not a dig on anybody. There's no disrespect, man. I just really want to curb everybody's expectations because every time I post about this, I get a lot of weird feedback from people that seem to not understand that it's okay to not like it. But, you know, there, it absolutely has a purpose if that's what you're going for. So anyway, check out all of the videos that I did and, of course, the awesome one that Wobbling Pixels did about it and uh, decide for yourself. Is this something that you want or not? Now it's time for this week's Mr. News, care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these and only add my thoughts where I really want to talk about something, but for the most part, if you hear something that piques your interest, please check out Lou's video for all the details. Starting us out, there's a bunch more projects coming out based on the TTY to OLED, which is a device that can display things like marquees and logos when you load them automatically on your mister. And I'm very excited about this because I'm still rotating around my arcade machines and figuring out 
my arcade, I have two now, but which one I want to keep, which one I don't, do I want to rebuild one? So depending on what I end up with, I might end up doing a lot with this project. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully I'll have a whole video on that. Also, there is now a beta release for the SNK 68 core, which is for games based on the Akari Warriors 3 hardware. Jimmy Stones announced that the game he's been working on turns out to be the arcade game Clean Sweep, which is almost 50 years old, so that's kind of a very cool way to preserve that uh, older game. Darren O and Attract 17's cores are now going to be, beta cores will be easier to download. Uh, The Ypsilon was able to create a downloader called CoinOp Collection, and I think this is one of those things where once everything is in final, it's probably going to be just directly into the update all script. Looks like Lou was already able to get it through update all. Um, I, I was as well. So maybe this is just a separate downloader, but definitely check out the links for descriptions. Uh, Checkmate has shown some pictures of their displays that allow you to integrate a mister into them. These are the 5x4 aspect ratio displays that have 18 plus milliseconds of lag, tons of ghosting that were supposedly going up for sale for over $500. So I'll, uh, I'll let you come to your own conclusion on that one. Also, Javier posted a link to a web page that could be helpful for FPGA developers, um, which is something that I think is always really cool because uh, anytime you can get more people helping out or more people into this stuff, it's always a good thing. Even small additions are always appreciated. Ralph on Twitter has announced a lower-cost version of the JAMA Himitsu board. This one's called the Saru version, and a beta PC PCB is out there already. So this is uh, another JAMA Mr. Adapter board. There's been a bunch floating around that are all very cool. Uh, I mean this with all of the love and respect in the world. All of these projects look great, but uh, before I start to review any of them and really dig into it, they have to be available for purchase and have gone through some some testing because when you go into arcade machines, you, you could be in a home laid back scenario, but you could also be in more of a competitive environment. So I want to make sure things are as uh, strictly tested as they have been with things like the Mr. Cade. Not playing favorites here, but we beat the heck out of Pork's design and it seems to be holding up. So hopefully all the rest of these awesome looking and awesome sounding designs will perform just as well. Um, also, Hotego released a beta of Super Hang-On. And this is thanks to the developer Gyurko, who was able to point him in the right direction for fixing a bug in OutRun, and that led to this. So, very cool. As usual, if you want any of Hotego's betas, sign up for the Patreon, and if you are not in a position to do that, they'll become public soon enough, so no worries there. Uh, the arcade game Prehistoric Isle has received a few updates, including an update to allow people for using S-Video or Composite to use the YC module. So that's pretty cool. I'm still really looking forward to doing the follow-up stream on that. I'm just waiting for the latest edition of Mike's adapters. Um, Also, Pierco has given some updates on the Bank Panic Arcade Core. Uh, There's no Mr. Core yet, but the simulation seems to be working. And I actually just saw a bunch of those pictures up on Twitter. That looked pretty cool. Darren O accidentally stumbled onto schematics for Alpha Denshi's 68K96V platform. Uh, So this is pretty cool because now this might lead to a core for Sky Adventure. Texture filtering is being implemented into the PlayStation core via true bilinear filtering. So this is something that's not yet done, but these are the things that get me even more excited about Mr. than I already am because... Now you're in a situation where Robert has spent months getting this as accurate to the original as possible, 
And on top of that is adding features that will never be available on the original PlayStation. So you're getting to equal to or better than territory with this, which is so impressive. Um, and also there's been a few updates and fixes to some Atari, NES, uh, EG2000, and 32X Core, which I just, I'm still so thankful that we have a 32X Core. Anybody else who's felt the pain of those terrible mushroom turds knows why it's so cool. And uh, if you're one of the lucky few that's just never had a problem with yours, don't ever get rid of it, because you'll probably never have one that works as well like it. And speaking of Mr. Stuff, I recently posted an interview with Martin Donlan, a.k.a. Wickerwaka, who did the R-Type core on Mr., but has also been an awesome help behind the scenes. was very patient with me when I needed some help with a bunch of stuff, and it was just a really fun, laid-back chat that I think a lot of people might enjoy. Um, this was one of those where it almost felt like it ended too early, but I, I kind of, I'd rather have that than the opposite, you know? It's kind of cool to end these conversations with people wanting to hear more from us, rather than be like, wow, Bob just didn't shut up again, huh? So <laughs> that was obviously a dig on me, not Martin. But um, anyway, I, I think any of my fellow nerds would probably enjoy this one. This was a lot of fun. It was just a very cool chat and the perfect example of when I want people to feel like they slid up a coffee or a beer next to us and just kind of joined us for the conversation. Mike Chi recently posted a new firmware update for the RetroTink 5X, and it took me a while to finally get around to testing it. And I still haven't dug as deep into this one as I would have liked to, but let's start this out and maybe uh, anybody listening could add their thoughts as well. The first update is an adjustment to the composite video encoder that specifically is designed to help NES and Famicom games. So I think I did a live stream very recently where I showed NES stuff, the uh, FPGA half real, half FPGA NES, and when I was comparing it to the original one, you could see the composite video curl up on top. So basically, just like a sync issue on the top of the screen, you might see the, the screen kind of curl over to one side. And while you could have, in the past, fixed that by tweaking a couple of settings, this should do it by default, so that all you'd have to do is plug it in, set your input, and that's it. So if you use NES or Famicom and you've had any issues, definitely just use this firmware update. And if for whatever reason it doesn't work for you, you could always go back to the older firmwares. There's no locking here with the RetroTank. And the other addition to this is a flag that's sent to your display that tells it to enable VRR, variable refresh rate FreeSync. And this one's kind of interesting because just sending that flag alone seems to solve some compatibility issues, but I'm kind of curious how it works past that, which is where I'm kind of stuck at testing at the moment. So let me go over that real quick. The first thing that it does is just tell your display, hey, we're not sending an exact 60 hertz signal or 5994, you know, this might be different than that. So just by sending that signal alone, that seem on displays that accept VRR, I probably should have started with that. Not every single flat panel, but the ones that specifically say G-Sync, FreeSync, VRR, whatever, then you should be able to increase compatibility on certain model uh, Neo Geos and some other weird ones in frame lock mode, not triple buffer. So just, the, and I know I'm going multi-layered here, but triple buffer mode adds uh, rolling just over a frame of lag. So it's between just a few milliseconds and a frame and the compatibility is pretty much perfect. And then as soon as you drop down to the lower mode or modes, depending on your settings, then that's when you might get compatibility issues, kind of sort of like the open source scan converter. Uh, you know, there is a lot of TVs that were not compatible with 5X or sometimes even 4X modes, but would work fine with 2X. 
So it's kind of the same theory behind it in that if your display is ex expecting a very specific signal, but then you have a VRR display and it says we don't need a specific signal, that seems to just fix it with a bunch of them. So that alone is a cool option. Just go into the HDMI menu and enable it and that might work for you. And if that was the only thing that it added, I would still think that it was very cool. However, it's possible that this would allow for um, for that in the um, frame lock modes so and the non-buffered mode to have smoother VRR type stuff. And my test for this has always been the arcade version of Mortal Kombat, because when you're on the screen at the very beginning, before you even start the game, where the characters are scrolling vertically, that is very, very easy to spot. You do not need to be a video expert. You could just be walking by it, and if you see it scroll, and then jerk, and then scroll, and then jerk, then you're not running at the exact refresh rate of the Mortal Kombat board. So I haven't had a chance to test that yet. I'm not sure if true VRR is even possible with the HDMI transmitter chip on that. Not a dig to Mike. I just, we're nerds. It is what it is. But I wanted to ask that because if you have a solid way to test what VRR could do and you own a RetroTank 5X, give it a try and let me know what happens. Do you still get some of that judder? Does it happen in triple buffer? Does it happen in frame lock? But at this point, I'm really just nerding out and digging deep. Mike added that for exactly what I explained. Compatibility in non-buffered modes or lower buffered modes um, just to tell your TV doesn't have to be locked to this exact signal. So... Um, I don't know. I, I just, I get really excited because every time I see a developer do one thing, I could almost always see what comes next. So if you have the ability to test, let me know. If I got this all wrong, absolutely make fun of me in the comments. I deserve it. But I, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty close. Retro Gamer Store just posted a PSA about a problem with the standoffs on their Genesis Mega Drive shells. And I didn't really run into that big of an issue with it, but I wanted to talk about it here. And I definitely think it was the right thing to do for Retro Gamer Store to post this because it's always good to be transparent with your customers and let them know what to expect. I didn't think it was that big a deal and I didn't have to go to the lanes that they showed, but let me just walk you through it and let you decide. So one or two of the standoffs on these shells apparently weren't drilled deep enough. So the standoff is fine, the position is fine, Everything is fine except you can't get the screw all the way in. So I, I think I ran into this in, in two different standoffs, but I'm used to just having brand new well-built plastics where you use these self-tapping screws to, to get it in there as far as you can yourself, which means it's always really tough to screw it down. So, and in fact, that's why Martin started including new screws with these cases. So that way you could use a brand new screw and a Phillips head screwdriver rather than a 30 plus year old screw, a Torx screwdriver, and then snap the head off like what happened to me in at least one of those live streams. So just having a good screwdriver and a good quality Phillips head screw, I didn't run into any issues with the top case. I think there was one standoff that I really had to just, you know, put my back into it to get it screwed all the way down, but then it was totally fine. However, one of the other standoffs, the one that holds the power board in, I couldn't get the screw all the way down. And the solution for that is super, super easy. All you do, if you want to do it right and you want to do it cautiously, get yourself a paper clip or anything else that you could fit in the hole and mark off. And then also measure the correct length. And all of this is in the PSA post that I'm linking to here. And you use a drill bit that's size is also noted here. 
and you don't even need to put it in a drill. You could just use it by hand and you could kind of just spin it. If, uh, you know, if, uh, if you have soft hands, go ahead, use a drill or a hand drill would probably be better so that you can control the, the exact pressure. And that's it. That's really basically it. And then the screw should be perfect. Um, just make sure it's straight down. You don't screw, uh, drill it down at an angle, but that's it. So as far as problems, quote unquote problems go, this is about as easy as anybody could imagine. There's an excellent chance that depending on uh, how deep the screw went and, and what type of screwdriver you're using that you might have just torqued it down enough without doing this. But it's very cool that the PSA was posted it, just so you don't wonder what the heck happened. Uh, other than that, I still love the shell. I, I did the, the stream a couple weeks ago that I, I just was so impressed with how they looked. Heck, I might even throw another link to it here just because the three cases that I looked at, I just thought were awesome. So thank you very much to Martin for taking the time to to do this just to let everybody know what the solution is. But luckily, as far as problems in production goes, this is about as easy as anyone could ever ask for. So uh, any thoughts on that, please let me know. If you had a different problem than I did or if maybe I'm misunderstanding this, let me know. But I think this one's super easy and it's just just a quick like, hey, Warning, this is what you might have to run into, but you should be fine. Well, that's it for this week. I still have a backlog of posts of things I want to write about. However, none of them are time-sensitive. So while there are a few things that I'd love to be promoting and discussing, you're not missing any pre-orders that I know about at least. And you know, there, There's nothing that would have suffered because I didn't post about it early enough. So hopefully I'll be able to catch up by next week. But as always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, including just spreading the word, because... The more people we get involved in this, the more we can do. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.